And every time I see all the kids leave, it always makes me say a little quick prayer for the people that are going down there with them. They're, they're vastly outnumbered, so um, in, in many ways, this is more comforting for me than that would be. So um, if you have your Bible, uh, find your way to Luke chapter 19, or if you have your phone, you can find your app or just Google because everything works with Google. Um, again, I, I always want to, to just express our gratitude that, that we're, we're grateful that you've chosen to worship with us, that, that we, we understand that it's a choice and that we're, we're grateful for that, we're humbled by that. And so we just pray that, that together as a body here today that we would make much of Christ, that we would seek to bring him glory. And um, we're, we're working through our series called Meet Jesus, and we, we're looking at different stories through the book of Luke's, uh, Luke's gospel. And, and then eventually, I think if I remember right, I didn't look ahead, but I'm pretty sure this is the last of the, the times we'll be in Luke, and then the rest of the time in the spring will be in different sermons of Acts. So we've taken time this spring to, to see who Jesus is based on interactions that Luke has given us in his gospel. And Luke took time to interview people. He took time to, to seek out firsthand sources, and he compiled his gospel. And so we want to see who Jesus is in that sense. We want to meet him through those encounters. And then ultimately we're going to finish by looking at sermons from the book of Acts. That These are the first sermons that we're proclaiming. So here's who Luke gave us as far as interacting within the gospel, and then what Luke wrote down through the book of Acts that the first church was then proclaiming about Jesus. And so today we, we get a, a popular story, maybe if you've been in church, is Jesus meets Zacchaeus. And it's an interesting story because Zacchaeus is, is only told in the gospel of Luke. This is a unique um, story for Luke, and, and so it's, and it's an exciting story. And, um, but if you will, let's just go ahead and read it. And, and then we'll un- unpack it further. So in Luke chapter 19, verse 1, he says, He entered Jericho. Again, this is Jesus. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when when they saw it, they all grumbled. Has he gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. If you will pray with me and ask the, the Spirit to guide us through our time today. Father God, we, we open your word, God, and we just admit that we're incapable of discerning your truth apart from your Spirit's work in our lives, God, that that if we want to get into a, a heart-level understanding of what it means to follow you, God, that it would take your spirit to discern your truth and, and apply it in our lives. God, and we just pray for that today. God, I just pray that we would feel the presence of your spirit among us. God, that we would hear truth in a way that, that we might not have ever heard before. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And, and I have to admit, it's been hard. I grew up in church, and so Zacchaeus was told, and I've had that, that song stuck in my head 
all week talking about Zacchaeus. You might remember now, so I just wanted to, to bring that up so that you can sing it along with me because that's what keeps happening. But, but I'm going to try to go away from that because in, in so much of that song is a good memorization, obviously, because it's worked. Uh, you know, I know that story, but so much of that story is focused on Zacchaeus in that song instead of on Christ. And, and, and what we do, and we have a hard time focusing on who Christ is instead of the people that he's interacting with. And so today, that's, we kind of want to take apart that and, and pull back and just see who is Christ in this. Because when we look at it, this story is a good description of what religion versus gospel centrality actually is. That if we, we think of religion, and, and when we see religion, it's basically do's and don'ts. It's seeking to know of God. It, it's seeking to know who He is, but, but when we look at the gospel centrality, it's not seeking to know of God, it's, it's the, the fact that God has sought us. And, and it's, it's different in that sense, and, and we see this playing out in the story with Zacchaeus. And actually, if, you, if you've ever watched TV, some, there's a new show right now about, if anyone's ever talking about religion, they're talking about seeking the truth, right? Seeking God. There's a new, there's a new series with Morgan Freeman, I don't know if you saw it, I think the first one was last week, it's the story of God. Okay, and, and it's like, okay, well, maybe it's different, but when you watch it, it's the exact same thing. It's all talking about seeking truth and how everyone can find it in their own way, and it's all okay. And that's what, that's what religion is. That's what culture says that we're supposed to do, is that you're supposed to just search and seek, and it's all on you. It's do these, don't do this. That's what religion is. And if we focus on Zacchaeus, that's what we get, because that's what Zacchaeus did. It's good that he was seeking, but he was seeking, and then he was found. And that's the difference, the fact that he was found. And, and it's interesting, too, that, and, and I don't know that I've ever thought of this, if I'm honest, that this is the second week in a row that we've talked about Jesus meeting a rich person, right? He, last week, we talked about the rich ruler. And then if you look in Luke's gospel, the very next person that Jesus meets, he, he heals someone, and then it's Zacchaeus, who is what? It's chief tax collector and was rich. And so two weeks in a row here in this series, we're looking at Jesus and a rich person, and that's about where the similarities end, is they're both rich. And we need to understand that it's the differences of these two men, the rich ruler that we talked about last week, and then Zacchaeus, that show us how we should actually follow Christ. But it's in that that we need to realize what Jesus did in this story. That it's a great story, it's an amazing story of God seeking people. And so when we understand that, the first thing we need to realize is that Jesus is the one that takes the initiative. Look at these, these first few verses. We just kind of set up the context real quick. It says he entered Jericho. Okay, so this is Jesus. He's going towards Jerusalem. You know, we're doing this kind of backwards. I mean, we, if, if I would have planned it a little better, we'd have done this before Easter and kind of gone sequential, but we didn't. We did Easter and then we've gone back before. And so Jesus is on his way. He's on his way, and, and by most estimates right now, when he encounters Zacchaeus in Jericho, he's about 10 days from his death. So his ministry's ending. He, he's at the end of his time, and he comes into Jericho, and Jericho was a, it was a trade route. It was a trade route, so it makes sense that they had more than one tax collector. It makes sense that now, all of a sudden, this is the first time we see a chief tax collector. So he was like the boss man. Right, he wasn't just a normal tax, he was over all the others, which would increase his wealth, but Jericho being a trade route, there's more stuff to tax, right? There, there's trade, there's more goods, that's just economics. The more stuff that happens there, there's going to be more taxation 
on the people or what's happening. And so when we look at this, there's a reason that Zacchaeus is in this position. He's the chief tax collector. He's very rich because there's a trade route going on. Jesus is going to his death, yet he takes time to meet this person. And, and right here at this first point, I want to point out something about Zacchaeus. And we look at that in verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. And so right there, we look at that, and you're like, well, you're saying the one that, that Jesus is the one that takes initiative that seeks. Well, Zacchaeus is doing it, but he's doing it to gain knowledge. And that's the difference. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small. So he was seeking. He was asking himself, if you can think, he's having this mental conversation of who is this guy? Look at this. There's this huge, I know what's happening in this, in this city. Like, it was his job to know what was going on so that he could tax everything. Right? He had to impose that. And so he's, he's wondering. You can see him thinking, who is this man? What's going on? There's this big crowd following him. And so what's with this crowd? What's going on? So he's going to go see. But he's short. Right? You've got to love the details that Luke gives sometimes. But because he was small of stature. Right? He's a short guy. He's a short guy. So he's in this crowd. You can just see that. Right? Uh, and it's like, I always think about that. I'm not. I'm about average height. But I always, there, there's times if you're at a game or something, you get someone that's tall in front of you. And the stadium needed to be just a little bit taller, right? So you could see over them. They're like right in front. That's what Zacchaeus is, but he's standing on level ground, right? He, he can't see anything. So what's he do? He undignifies himself and he runs ahead. Because remember, in this culture, the men didn't run. I kind of like that idea, if I'm honest. I'm like, you know, I tried running the other day and I'm like, why did I start again, right? But this, they, it was okay. That you don't, you're not expected to run. Right? He, but he did. Why? Because he wanted to know who Jesus was. What's going on with this? What's going on with this man? Why is this crowd following? So he runs ahead. He's got to beat the crowd. And then that's not good enough because he realizes that once the crowd gets there, what? He's just going to be in the same situation. So what's he do? He climbs a tree. Another thing that he's not supposed to do. Grown men didn't climb trees. Right? They, they still really don't. I mean, it's fun, but you, you're really not like, especially in the, the you're walking through somewhere and you see a grown man in the tree you're like that guy's weird right i mean that's what we're on it's like look at look at that if we're honest we'd be like look at that idiot what's wrong with him there's something wrong with him but that's what zacchaeus does he undignifies himself why because he's seeking to gain a knowledge of who's this man but he isn't the one that's truly seeking and that's the difference that's that's the religion side of the story the zacchaeus is is seeking to find out something just general information who is this person but see, the difference between religion and the gospel in this is that in the gospel, it's Jesus seeking us. In the gospel, we, we, we look to know who Jesus is, but when we understand it through a gospel lens, we realize that the whole time that we were seeking, that Christ had already sought us. That, that he had already sought us. And so it's kind of like the difference of knowing and knowing. Like if you just kind of know of someone and then actually knowing. Most of the time... Religion stops at just knowing of Christ. Let's just sprinkle a little Jesus in. We know he's a good person. But the gospel goes further than this. And it's not good enough to just know of Christ. It's you have to be known by him. You have to be known by him. And that's what we see happening at the rest. So he ran ahead, verse 4, climbed up into the tree. By the way, most likely it's not a sycamore tree. But um, to give you a little context of the tree climbing, because if you're, if, uh, just a moment of honesty, like, how's the short guy going to climb the tree? Like, the pecan trees around here, you got to be tall to get up in there, right? But these were, right? But these were common trees. They had a bunch of horizontal branches, so it really wasn't hard. So it was easy to climb, so it was kind of obvious what he needed to do. But then look at verse 5. Here's the difference that we see. And when he, 
And when Jesus came to this place, so his plan worked. He got ahead of the crowd. Jesus approached. He's in the tree. And he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. See, right there is the critical difference we understand, that Jesus knows his name. Out of this whole crowd of, of Palestinian people, this crazy commotion that's happening, enough to draw people out to see what's happening, Jesus looks at this man in the tree and says, Zacchaeus. He calls him by name out of a crowd. This is one of the, the few instances where we have an example of Jesus' divinity on earth. There's other, other miracles that he performed, but how did he know his name? This is the only time Zacchaeus is mentioned. And you would think that Luke would give us the detail like if they had already met. But they haven't. He knows his name. And it's the same thing that we can go. When we went through Nehemiah last year, we talked about there's these lists of names. And we have to remember that we are known by God. That he knows his people. So he calls him by name out of a crowd. And when he look at this and we see that, where he says, hurry, come down, I must stay at your house. We have to remember that Jesus took the initiative. He sought him out. Why did he stop there? What was it about Zacchaeus? He called him by name. He knows him. And we have to remember that, that it's not just simply about us knowing who Jesus is, but it's an understanding that he knows who we are. It's an understanding that he went, and, and Calvin, John Calvin talks about this, that, that we see two things happen when we look at this story, that, that we see that we are sinners. We understand that we're sinners and that we need to take it a step further and understand that our sin was good enough or Christ thought it was good enough for him to bear as well. So he knows us. He knows the details of our lives. And he died anyways. He calls him by name. We don't have a random God that can't be approached. We have a God that when we seek after him, we realize that he's already sought us, that he's already paid the price, that he knows us by name. And that's what Jesus always did. This is not a one-time event for Jesus calling out Zacchaeus. He always seeks the outcast because he's a tax collector. Zacchaeus was hated by everyone. The Romans didn't like him because how could he be willing to take such a low job? And the Jews hated him because why is he working with the enemy? There wasn't anyone that liked him. He's the outcast, and that's what we see over and over. There's a theme in Luke's gospel of pointing out that Jesus seeks those that are on the margins, the outcasts. There's actually six times in the gospel of Luke that tax collectors are mentioned, and every time it's positive. Every single time it's positive. Yet they were the hated people. That's just what happens. Jesus calls out the people in the margins. You don't have to fix yourself. He took the initiative. And that's a huge difference between religion and the gospel because religion is going to say, fix yourself, make yourself presentable, and then you, can, then you can get to it. And the gospel says, no. I know you're sinners. I know that you're dead and your trespasses in. I know that you can't do anything to fix yourself, but don't worry because I've took the initiative. And I took your sin on me and I've called you by name. You're known by God. And that should bring great comfort, if we're honest. That, that, that comforts me because I realize that if it's up to me, I'm going to screw it up. Because I fall all the time. But I have to go back to realize that Jesus takes the initiative when it comes to my salvation. That He called me by name. That I'm just some random person. That He knows me by name and He calls me out of the crowd. He seeks me purposely because He has something in mind. And that leads us, when we look at that, to realize that He welcomes everyone. That's what we get really in verse 5 and 7. We continue with verse 5. Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down for I must stay at your home. Right? I must stay at your house. 
hurry and come down. And if we go back to the little song that we've always sung, I don't know if you did it, but the motions were, when it says, Zacchaeus, you come down, he's pointing his finger at him, right? He's saying, you little sinner, get down. But that's not his tone, right? Look at it. He just says, hurry and come down. He doesn't say, hey, I see you, little midget sinner in the tree. Get down. But that's how we sing it, right? We think that he was like, look at this guy. He's scolding him. No, he's not scolding him. He's telling him to come down because I have a purpose for calling you. I want to welcome you in. It doesn't matter where Zacchaeus was. Everyone in that crowd's like, look at that idiot. And Jesus says, no, Zacchaeus, come down. Because I need to stay at your house. I must stay at your house. And what's amazing there is that Jesus invites himself in. Usually that's a bad thing, right? You might have known those people that always invite themselves to your house. And you're like, if you have plans, you like whisper and say something to someone so that they don't like hear you because they're going to invite themselves with you. But Jesus invites himself, why? Because Zacchaeus couldn't. This time in this culture, Zacchaeus couldn't invite a teacher around that. He was a sinner. He couldn't do that. It wasn't, it wasn't something that could happen. And so Jesus did what culture wouldn't allow. Jesus invited himself into his house because he knew that Zacchaeus wouldn't and couldn't do it. He called him by name and he welcomes everyone even so much that he says, I need to stay at your house. I need to stay at your house. And that's again where Luke continually points out that Jesus is okay being around those that are sinners. It's like what we just said, the, the good Samaritan in Luke, only in Luke. The Samaritans, they were hated. They were hated. People didn't like them. They would go around Samaria purposely to avoid them. But what happens? The Samaritans are the good person in Luke's story. Luke always points out how Jesus turns everything. You get the prodigal son story in Luke, where the son that would have basically told his dad, you know, just die, give me my inheritance. He went and squandered it, and then the dad welcomes him back. You don't do that, yet Christ does. And now we have the same thing happening with Zacchaeus. You don't talk to the sinners and the tax collectors. Yet Jesus invites himself to his house. He takes all the cultural stigma away from Zacchaeus and puts it squarely on himself and says, you know what, I'm going to come to your house. So what did Zacchaeus do? He hurried and came down. Right? I, I can't help but look at these scenes in my mind. I get these mental pictures of him climbing down in front of everyone. It's like, okay, what's happening here? And so he hurried down and what? He received him joyfully. He received him joyfully. Because see, when you're called by name, by God, you understand the magnitude of that. You realize that you can receive that joyfully. Why? Because it's not you having to do anything. He's called you. Here's Zacchaeus sinner no one wants to up in a tree jesus calls his name and he comes down yeah you're going to come down joyful he just pointed me out he invited himself to my house i'm going right you're like okay yes i'm going to go because no one else in that crowd welcomed him no one else in that crowd would have done that and you understand that because you read verse seven and when he saw it they grumbled they this is not just the pharisees this is the crowd this is everyone there they grumbled has he gone to be the guest of this man who's a sinner how can he do that? How can he welcome, welcome those people in? And that's exactly what people should be saying about us if we're living motivated by the gospel. Is how can those people be around those? What's going on? Because we can follow Jesus and we can be empowered by the gospel to welcome those that are on the margins in, to call them by name and say, you know what? You're not going to be able to invite yourself. You don't feel like you can invite yourself to this, but you know what? I'm gonna, we're going to invite ourselves in. We're going to go to you. 
And so many times there's people that are left on the outside, even of church, because they don't feel like they're welcomed. And that's just a misapplication of the truth. That we should be a place that people feel welcome. We should be a place where people know that they can come. And sadly, a lot of times that's not the truth. People feel like they can't come in because they're those people. And so I always pray that we would be a group and a body of family here that lets people come in, that welcomes them. Why? Because we see time and time again that that's exactly what Christ did. Is he called the marginalized, the ones that society said were cast out. And he called them in. And see, right there what happens, though, is then you get a culture that doesn't understand an interaction with Jesus. Because if you just, if you stopped there, it becomes everything's okay, just welcome everybody in, right? If, if we stop there, it, it, it doesn't matter what anyone is, there's no change. But see, if you keep reading the story, you realize that, that not only does Jesus welcome everyone in, but Jesus changes desires. Because see, you can't encounter Jesus without your desires changing. And that's where, when we, we see that our, our culture is getting so far and far away from the gospel that everything is becoming okay because truth is relative and you can find your own truth. That's, that's exactly what that, that, the story of God that, that Morgan Freeman did last week. It was talking about the, the, what happens after death. And the very end of it, and we, we were, Lindsay and I were watching it, and we're like, and she's like, what do you think is going to happen? I said, I'm going to think it's turned out to be everything is okay and the truth is just found in no matter what you find it in. And the very last thing, that's what it went to. Here's what everyone seeks for the afterlife in their own way. That's false. It doesn't happen that way. There is truth. There is a reality that's beyond us. And it's not found everywhere. It's found in Christ. And that changes our desire. If we can meet Christ and our life doesn't change, then you haven't met Christ. Because look what happens. You have a sinner here. The chief of the tax collector, the worst of the worst, right? Tax collectors weren't often known for their honesty, right? And that's what everyone says. Who's, look at this man. He's a sinner. Everyone knows. Everyone knows, why is Jesus going to be a guest of this man who's a sinner? There's no doubt, well, is he a good guy that's a tech? No, he's a sinner. And what happens? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore to it fourfold. He understands that he's known by God, and immediately his desires change. He didn't gain his, his, his wealth as a text collector, tax collector by being honest, right? No, because the more he imposed, the more he got to keep. If he charged someone extra, he got to keep that, right? And so he wasn't honest, but what happens is the gospel shows our true desire, and you look at verse 8, and you see what he says, behold, Lord. So what we need to understand is that change doesn't happen until Jesus is Lord of our life. And, and until then, until we can say, behold, Lord, see, he doesn't say good teacher like the rich ruler last week. When the rich ruler last week approached Jesus as a good teacher, no, Zacchaeus finally approaches him, gets out of the tree, and says, Behold, Lord. You see the difference in their heart condition there? That he understands who Jesus is, and that's when the change happens. He doesn't change everything and say, Okay, Jesus, you're Lord now. It's Jesus being Lord that creates the change. And so often, that's what I failed to understand as a child growing up in church, is it was do the right thing. Be a better person. And while that's true, but it doesn't happen until you can say, Behold, Lord. When Christ is over everything in your, then you actually change. Until then, it's just behavior modification. 
You just go from one thing, trying to be good, trying to be good. Well, I did good for a while, and now I failed again, but there's grace, so I'm just going to keep going. But when Jesus is actually Lord, when you can say, behold, Lord, everything else changes because your desires have changed. Now, all of a sudden, he's the chief desire, and your life doesn't matter anymore in the sense of you don't need that stuff. You can give away half to the poor. And that's what's amazing about Zacchaeus and the rich ruler from last week. When you look at both of those stories, they both had wealth. They both encountered Jesus. And one wasn't even asked to give it away, and he did. And the other was told, this is what you lack, give it to your poor. And he says, and he left sad, right? That's the difference. Zacchaeus understood that he had found the chief desire in Christ, that he had been called by name. And so... We need to understand that until we can say, Behold, Lord, we might change for a little while, but it's never a lasting change. It's not a true change. It's not a heart change. It's just behavior modification. And sadly, there's so many churches that just teach that. Just, just add a little Jesus in and be a better person. The problem is we're all sinners. We can't just be better people because we're going to be selfish. You see that in kids. I, 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 I don't like to talk about Keaton and Kelby all the time because I don't want them to become always sermon illustrations, but you see it in children, right? You see it. Kids are innocent, yet they're sinners because they're selfish, right? They're going to steal someone else's toy immediately. Why? Because they want it for themselves. Or they're not going to let someone else have it because that's mine. It plays out in our front yard when all the neighborhood kids are meeting in our front yard. Every day you hear that. Or they get their feelings hurt and they run off and they're quiet. Or, you know, one, one neighbor kid gets mad and so he'll leave and then he'll come back. And it's just all manipulation trying to get their way. But that's what we are. Adults just do it differently, right? Adults, we do the exact same thing. We just do it in an adult version. And we have to understand that until we see that Christ is the one that changes our desires, we're not going to be better people. We're just going to be having a facade of change, but in the reality, we're far from him. And that's why Jesus can say, you call me Lord, yet you didn't know me. Just claiming that Jesus is Lord doesn't mean anything. You have to mean it. You have to know it. You have to see who he is and realize that he has called you by name. That's why Jesus can say, today salvation has come to this house. Because it was a, a faith in Christ that produced the change. When he can say, behold, Lord, and he can give away everything, you see the change. And he gives away fourfold. The law was to give something back plus a fifth of what it was. And he says, I'll give back fourfold. So he goes completely further than what he was supposed to do. Why? Because his desires had changed. He didn't have to do that. He would have been fine giving that back plus a fifth. But instead he said, no, fourfold. Why? Because he realized who Christ was. He'd been called by name. He was a sinner welcomed in. And we see that that's what we need to get to. Is that that's what we need to understand is that change doesn't happen until we see who Christ is. And we can truly say, behold, Lord, look at my life. It's yours. And until then, we're just going to keep going on the same way, being good people for a while, and then we'll fall down. And then we'll just pick ourselves up and try to make it better. And we'll live a life of doing that and we'll never understand it until we actually submit our lives to Christ. It's not about being good people. It's about being people changed by Christ. And that creates a difference that people don't understand. That's why we can welcome people in despite 
them living in sin, despite people doing it. We can welcome them in. We can say, no, this is why our desires would change, because of who Christ is. That he loves you too. He's called you by name. So when we understand that and we accept the gospel, we submit our lives, everything changes because our desires have changed. And so the, the quick application on that is, is what are you holding back and not willing to say, behold, Lord, in your life? It doesn't have to be money. It's easy to talk money, and it's good to talk money out of this, but it doesn't have to be that. What, what are you claiming yourself, Lord, over in your life and not letting him have that? Because until it's a complete submission, it's not actually submission. You can't halfway submit. You just can't, you can't do it. You can't do it. And so then you have to ask yourself, who is Jesus in your life? Who, who is Jesus? Because if he's just a good person to emulate, a good person to look at, a good moral person, if he lived a good life, then you're going to end up in religion. You're going to end up trying to earn the thing that you've already been given, and you're never going to find it because that's not what it is. So you should seek after Christ. You should learn to know him. You should devote time to the word. And that's really times what happens, right? As kind of as we're, we're finishing, that's what we always say, that we don't have time for that, right? I came, I came to a realization in the last few weeks, just dealing with my own anxiety and stuff like that, that, that I don't have time. Why? Because every day it's less. Right? Do you get that? Like Jesus, he's got 10 days. 10 days he's dead. Why does he stop to meet this man that no one else will? Why does he stop to do that? Because what does he do? Look at verse 10. That's exactly what Jesus does. The Son of Man came to what? Seek and save the lost. He was, he's not taking time out to meet this guy. Oh, let's, no, he's doing what he came to do. He's seeking and saving the lost by name. And that's what we should be doing. We should go and seek those that are outside of the body of Christ because their time is fleeting, and so is ours. And so we can't wait to do something. We proclaim the gospel of Jesus, or we don't. There's not an option. And you can do that at work. You can do that with your neighbors. That's the biggest misunderstanding in church these days is that the pastors are the ones that do the mission. The people are the ones that do the mission. And if I'm doing my job right, I'm equipping you to do that. And so every week, I'll proclaim the gospel. But every week, you should be going out into the neighborhoods, into your place of work, to preach the gospel because this is what's happened in my life. If you've accepted that. And if you haven't, you've got to take care of that first. Like, you can't proclaim Jesus if you don't know him. Otherwise, you'll just be, hey, follow this cool guy. You won't understand when Jesus says, take up your cross. You can't, you can't do that then. Wait a second, that's crazy. Because really, that's what we have. Is Jesus a person to emulate? Is he just a good person? A good moral person? He's a good guy, right? There's plenty of good people. There's plenty of good people. The difference is who is Christ? So he's either a good person or he's Lord. That's what we have to, to go on. And that's what you need to find yourself today. There's either two categories. There's people that are in Christ that through him have become righteous, through him their sin has been paid for by his blood on the cross to those that are outside of him. And it doesn't matter how good those people are, if you haven't submitted your life to Christ, then you're headed for the worst of the worst, just like the worst people. And only in the gospel is that possible to be a terrible person yet called by name because that's what Christ did. He came to seek and save the lost. 
in John 3, 17, it says that he came not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. That's what we preach. That's what we should proclaim. That's what you should proclaim as you go. You shouldn't hear anything else. And that doesn't mean that you always have to be, you don't have to be that person who always just says the gospel every time. You need to build relationships with people. And, and sometimes it might take years and years of friendship before you can ever proclaim the gospel. And you have to be okay with that. But if you're living a life saying, Behold, Lord, people will see that. And we just pray and we beg God that someday those people will respond. Knowing that it's not us, it's him that took the initiative, that welcomes everyone in, and that's going to change their desires ultimately. And so we submit to him. He is sovereign over us, sovereign over all. And so we can submit to that. And we proclaim the gospel. We cannot emulate him as a good person, but we can follow him as Lord. Then our lives and our communities will be changed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this story, God, just of, of this man who had nothing going for him, God. Yet, yet Jesus took the initiative to call him by name, to tell him to come down from that tree because he had a purpose. God, that he was welcoming him in. God, and I just thank you that, that we don't have to change ourselves before you welcome us. But God, I just pray that we would realize that the gospel is not about changing ourselves first, but about your son, Jesus Christ, changing our hearts and our desires so that we might live for him. And I thank you that, that we were unworthy, yet you sent your son. And it's in his name that we pray.